When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast, keeping you across all the big talking points and, of course, big opinions from the English top flight. We were the James Milner of podcasts. We'd never miss a single day, but now we're more like the Ledley King of podcasts, I suppose. Still three podcasts a week to get your teeth stuck into. And when the season's back in full swing, whenever that may be, we'll be fighting fit again and back to our daily schedule. But for now, thanks for downloading the podcast. I'm Niall, and alongside me on today's episode of Football Social Daily, we have Adam Keyworth and Will Brazier. Hello, boys. Afternoon. Hello. Hello. What have been your plans for this week? Any home baking in the pipeline for either of you? Um, Do some cleaning, do some washing, do some washing up. Uh, Maybe go shopping, um, find something new to watch on telly. It's all very, very exciting now. I've now moved on to Apple TV. Any good? Can you recommend? Watching the morning show that I think think Will may have already finished, so I don't want to ask him too much about it. Oh, yeah. Go on, on, Will. Spoil it for him. Yeah, it's mad. Uh, All die. Um, (laughs) So it's uh, it's a bit of a sad ending, but yeah, yeah. I've been going through all the Avengers films back-to-back, the Marvel films, and I'm uh, approaching slowly Thor Ragnarok, so I'm looking forward to watching that one a little bit later. Sounds like a team you'd get in the Europa League. <laughs> I've not, I've not seen any of them oh. apart from like Black Panther. Nor, nor had I until the start of this lockdown. So it's been my mission to finish them. Uh, but some people's plans this week will be to watch some live football. The Bundesliga is back. Football will restart in Germany soon. But how closely will the Premier League follow suit? All sorts of things have happened over the last few days, but we now know all clubs want to finish the season. All clubs are against neutral venues and relegation will happen this season in one way or another. The question is, will the players agree to play amongst all that? Plus, with strange times come strange protocols. How about this one? When you tackle, you have to turn your face away so you're less at risk of coronavirus. I can only imagine the look on Graham Souness's face when he read that one. Also, it's a day of milestones for both Manchester clubs today. On the blue half of Manchester City are celebrating eight years since the famous Aguero goal, so we'll reminisce about that. And I'm sure United fans will be reminiscing too, probably about a year earlier though, seven years exactly to the day since Sir Alex Ferguson retired as Manchester United manager. Where did it all go wrong for United, or has it really been that bad? That's all to come. But first, I'm afraid to say, lads, it's more coronavirus-driven football chat, I'm afraid. I think we all saw this one coming, but there was a Premier League meeting on Monday where we actually did see a little bit of a, a movement forward in terms of a progression 
uh, in what's happening to the football world, although mainly the Premier League world. It's important to stress, although we are a Premier League podcast, football does exist outside the top division and there are other clubs uh, that will be hanging on every word which is spoken in these meetings to, to figure out when or if the season might return. But what we're getting really from, from the gist of the reports that have come out, all clubs are unanimous in their agreement, Adam, that they want to finish the season. And the one that kind of caught me a little bit by surprise is that all clubs are against the neutral venues plan. Now, we saw Aston Villa and Watford and Brighton come out and say that they were against it, but no one else explicitly said that they were against neutral venues. They kind of kept it to themselves. But that's one that took me by surprise when I saw the news come out. I think they're all just trying to... I don't know, all trying to come to an agreement. And if I think the neutral venues one was the one that maybe have split people, but sort of come to some arrangement where if, if they go for that, then other things will follow. Um, we know that all clubs want to finish it. It's in their financial financial interest and there's a lot still at stake in this season. Um, the one thing that surprises me is that relegation will happen regardless of anything else because you look at all the different things that need to happen for relegation to happen at the moment. First of all, you need championship clubs to come up, you would imagine, which is a bit of a big mm. play in this. And if no games are played and relegation happens, it's just going to open the biggest can of worms over the next few years. Um, so I don't know. To be honest, my, my uh, overriding opinion is all of this is posturing from the clubs, from the leagues. Um, I don't think it's going to come back in any form at this point this season mm. but they, they need to be seen as doing as much as they can to get it on especially with all the tv money riding on it so i just think 20 stadiums being in play at this point is logistically impossible i, I can't see how that's going to happen with all the travel that's got to be involved where are the players going to stay in 20 different stadiums it seems like a no start well interestingly enough you've got the likes of liverpool's ground anfield and everton's ground goodison park so close to each other for a start and second of all so close to terraced housing which is a big problem in itself you know you can't guarantee that there won't be also if the game's played at Anfield uh, 100, 200, 300 Liverpool supporters outside a stadium trying to celebrate the title you just can't guarantee these things so I understand that the neutral venues thing was kind of a, a sensible ploy uh, but also I understand the club's point of view suggesting that they don't want that to be the way they want their Premier League journeys to begin, end, start, restart, whatever it may be, on the pitch uh, and do it that way. However, Will, I think that what Kesey mentions about, you know, there, there being relegations does suggest to me that the season is going to end. But if we can't end it on the pitch, then that, if anything, in my opinion, points towards a, a sporting merit conclusion. The old points per game conundrum. Yeah, I think so. I think with the FA coming out and saying that's going to happen, they, they their card, um, I think the championship's probably more of the the tricky one to to play that I mean the, the top two have sort of got a little bit of a gap between the playoff teams but then that I think it's down to nearly down to 10th there's so many um, different permutations that could happen so I think that's going to be as much as we're obviously Premier League dominant that's going to be such a tough one to put through because even if you do it by the, the metric that you mentioned there's going to be so many unhappy clubs and even lower than that like League One I know from eighth to second or eighth to third there's four points so uh, it's just absolutely mm. it's mental I, I still think that you can't I think we've said this over a number of weeks I don't think you can have promotion from the championship or league one unless they can play playoffs because like Will said your first and second there will always be an argument that they were in the right position at the right time and whatever else 
but third to eighth, we know how much money is in those promotions. That will make or break <coughs> clubs at this point. So not being able to send up third uh, a third place uh, just seems really counterintuitive if you're going to send three down. Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like if the Premier League and the Championship are likely to continue and League One and League Two are likely to be ended, it feels to me like there is clearly a disparity between the top two leagues in English football. And then we're getting on to the discussions about possible restructurings of the pyramid and, and whatnot. What's interesting for me, and I've said this over the last uh, few podcasts, is in these meetings, obviously executives are present. Do we feel that these executives are actually briefing the players? Because when it comes down to it, primarily they are the ones that are putting themselves and their health at risk. If they can't be guaranteed that you know games are safe to be played, then if I was a player, I'm saying, sorry, lads, I'm, I'm not playing today because I don't feel comfortable. Yeah, I think with that, though, I think the as horrible as it sounds, I actually think it's going to be a money thing down, down to the end of the day. I think the players might veto, but... I then think it will get into a very ugly situation with like pay and maybe withholding certain things as well. I can just see that becoming a a bigger a bigger play as time goes on. I think that is exactly why, as we said, it's a whole different discussion. We won't get too much into it. That's why League One and League Two are the most at risk because the TV money is not there. And if the TV money is not there, then it totally makes no sense for those clubs to open the grounds just to play games behind closed doors because that's what they live off is is their gate receipts. I think, like Will said, with the players, especially in the Premier League, uh, you've got all their their bonuses. Uh, I know even at clubs like City, they get paid a hell of a lot of money, but a lot of it is down to uh, bonuses and actual performance rather than just weekly salary. So without being able to p- play the games, all that comes into dispute. And to be honest, I think we've already seen leaks of players refusing to come back. And that speaks volumes. Players refusing to go back to training next Monday. At this point, the players can really be the ones who lead this. I don't think they've been involved in the discussions like you'd imagine they should be. Maybe the captains have been asked on some calls, but the players can literally vote with defeat at this point. They could all say, we're not coming back until we think it's safe to do so or until these things are put in place. I think at the minute, they'll be looking at some of these stories coming out going, oh, we've got to turn away from tackles or the balls need disinfecting for throw-ins or I've got to wear gloves if I'm a throw-in taker. None of that. They could just say, no, we're not doing it unless these things are put in place. And if they did, that would be just the most incredible thing we've seen. But I think, like Will said, I don't think they will. I think there'll be enough players who are willing to do it that it'd end up being played in some form. But can you imagine the league ending? And this is a, a real viable and like weird thing that could happen you could have Liverpool win the league first game back right and then we don't see any of their starting 11 for the the following eight games and then what does that mean for relegation clubs you can build on that point and again what Will says about it becoming a mess where you know if you've got 20 of the 25 first team squad players saying no we're not playing well when does it get to the point where clubs get so desperate that they call upon academy players and then these academy players who are 16, 17, 18 are going, oh, this is my chance to make a name for myself. And then it just becomes such muddy waters in terms of what's acceptable and what's morally correct and all the rest of it. One person that has spoken out, and he's been quite outspoken over the last 18 months or so, actually, is Newcastle defender Danny Rose. This is what he's had to say about the situation, right? He said... The government's saying bring back football to boost the morale of the nation. I don't give a f- 
fuck about the nation's morale. People's lives are at risk. Football shouldn't be spoken about until numbers have dropped massively. It's f***s. I mean, if we're talking about a damning statement from a player, Will, that's it from Danny Rose, isn't it? Well, he's absolutely spot on. And let's be honest, if there was if there was no money involved at all, this wouldn't even be being talked about, would there? If there was no broadcast deals in play, we would just be like, Let, let's wait. And at the end of the day, I think that's how far removed that the Premier League has become from football itself, because it, sh- it definitely shouldn't be happening. And like the fact that we're even talking about it just shows how... I don't. It's, it's, it's an absolute business machine, isn't it? Now the Premier League, and it's, there's no ethics involved in it really when it comes down to to going forward. Because the sim- simple rule of it is, there's no reason we should be playing Premier League football because it's not safe to do so. And, and the, that whole morale reason, boost thing is just a ploy to say this is going to make us the money that we need to make. The the YouGov YouGov did a poll. Um, they'll poll anything. What was it? Seventy-three percent said resuming football will not boost my morale. It's not going to boost mine. Having to watch City Liverpool, which is the first game back, don't forget, that's the first game back. Having to watch that in in my in my front room that I've not been allowed to leave for the last nine weeks. Having to watch that there, knowing that I should be in that ground when that game's going on, that's not going to boost my morale. I'm just going to think, oh well. They're just getting on with it. Oh yeah, they're just getting on with it because they're getting paid to do so. But if I can't go, well, what's what's the point in you lot doing it? Yeah, it's the behind closed doors things, I think, which is putting a lot of people off. And and here's the YouGov poll that, that Keyes is referring to. Uh, it was polled on the 11th of May, so two days ago. Uh, 2,098 Great British adults took part in the survey, which unbelievably adds up to 101% instead of 100, which is another matter for itself. <laughs> uh, but here's the poll. British Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab has said, resuming the Premier League will lift the spirits of the nation. What best represents your view? 19% of people said it will boost my morale. 73% of people said it wouldn't. And 9% said they don't know. I think it's important to mention this is quite a small cross-section of society. And also there are a large majority of people in this country, believe it or not, who don't actually like football uh, and don't want (laughs) to and aren't interested in football in one way or another. But if you've got people within the game, Will, like Danny Rose, saying that it's not going to boost their morale and they're the players and they're the ones that are supposedly getting the most enjoyment out of being a professional and whatnot, then how is it going to boost anyone else's? Well, exactly. I almost hope that they do sort of veto it and almost don't come back. I mean, it would literally cost me work and obviously everyone else a lot of work. But I just, it's yeah. almost becoming, they're just too far big for the boots now, aren't they? So I think it would be a great stance by the players if they could do that on Monday and refuse to go training because we don't need Premier League football back in June. James Tarkovsky at Burnley. Keezy has said he wants it to go ahead which is the complete opposite to what Danny Rose has said so we are likely to see a split player opinion on this but how how far down the line will will that get the situation I mean because we keep running into obstacles here Uh, it was inevitable I mean Brighton have had a third player test positive for coronavirus in the last couple of days Uh, we've got obstacles in the way in terms of neutral stadiums and having the right amount of tests and as you say these protocols which we'll touch upon in a minute I mean Tarkovsky wants it to go ahead Rose doesn't are we going to see a 50-50 split between players or is it kind of all one way in your opinion? I think what Tarkovsky's saying is, yeah, he wants it to go ahead. I think we all want it to go ahead at some point, but when it's safe to do so, and the issue at this point is how we've got two and a half weeks left of the month before it's supposed to return. There's absolutely no chance in the next two and a half weeks. Like We look at Germany and they've, they're going ahead with it, even though there's 
there's a ridiculous amount of uh, players who uh, have now tested positive across clubs. All it'll take, um, let's let's have it right. Bundesliga are being used by uh, the Premier League as guinea pigs at this point. We're going to watch what happens and try and take some notes from it. All it takes is three or four players from one club on one week match week uh, test positive, and they can't play again. Once one team can't play again, the rest of the league falls apart because then you have to look at all those games that didn't get played and we're back to square one. I think at this point, like I said, I I think it really is that uh, the Premier League and the clubs involved are showing the broadcasters and are showing everyone, look, we're trying to do whatever we can, but at this point, it's not going to happen. And even if you look at it from a a really zoomed out point of view, I can go to the park and play heads and volleys with whoever lives in the house, but only one-on-one. So you can now have 11 v 11 with all the other people involved. It doesn't sit right that the rules don't just don't like match up across society. And I think we're seeing players become very aware that their whole careers are at risk here. Um, if a player goes and gets falls ill and doesn't come back the same, there's no insurance policies behind it. There's going to be no... It's, it's just a mess, isn't it? Like Will said, it really does come down to the simple fact of we don't need it to come back next month. Nobody needs it to come back apart from the broadcasters where all the money lies. Football, as we know it, won't be the same for a number of years now on the back of it. But, but that's going to happen anyway, so just take your foot off the gas and let it be for now. If it has to come back next year, it has to come back next year and they're just going to have to take the hit because at this point, it looks it looks desperate. Mm. Yeah, we're at a point now anyway where the season, the, the, the regular season would have been over. You know, and we would have been looking forward to the Euros. I mean, that would have been the case now. People would have been going off on their holidays and, and whatnot. So, I mean, I think now with the kind of the feeling within that we've been used to over the last however many years we've been watching football in, in its regular form, um, we're all kind of used to I mean I think it's gone past the point now of it being we're all itching for it to come back I think personally that's how I'm feeling about it anyway what about this though turn your face when tackled or don't tackle at all disinfect the pitches as Keezy says wear gloves when you're taking a throw in I mean these are all protocols which have been put forward which makes me just go what is the point I mean because that's not that's not <laughs> football is it it's it's not the game that we know I mean turning your face away when you're tackled I mean what is that that's just nonsense that's not that, you don't even think about that You've got <laughs> people who are making these rules aren't making tackles, are they? Because you've got half a second to work out that the tackle's coming. You haven't got half a second to work out the tackle's coming. Turn your head and make sure you don't cough. It's it's an impossible thing in a contact sport. I get why golf can go ahead because it's a solo sport. You're on your. You're own, only picking your you own ball up out of the hole, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You haven't got. A, you can't have a contact sport and then say, "Oh, actually, we've looked at this and contact can't happen." If, if you've got to bend the rules that far, we've already seen that you can have five subs and that's thrown up a, a fuss. We've already seen that, oh, maybe you don't have to use VAR, you can decide. You can't then say the fundamental rule of football in a tackle, or you can't do that anymore. Is If you strip it all back, there's absolutely no point. Because the like you said about the throw-ins, all right, we're just going to wait for this player to go and put his gloves on so he can take this throw-in. One sec. Come on. It's, or when the ball goes out, you need a new ball, or it has to be the same ball. It's 
if you're going to bend the rules that far, you can't talk about sport and integrity, can you? Does this mean Pascal Chimbonda was ahead of his time wearing tights in May and gloves in May? Nicholas Anelka as well. Just <laughs> Anelka had it right. Yeah, Anelka knew what he was doing. He, it, well, he, who was it who wore the mask the other year? Oh, I'm not sure. Which player was it who celebrated by putting... Oh, a, was it like Jimenez? A, uh, Wolves? With yeah, the... Jimenez put like a Mexican mask mm. on. Wrestling mask. Yeah, class. <laughs> he can pull that out <laughs> Will, what about this disinfect the pitches idea? I mean, surely that's got more <laughs> health hazards than benefits. I mean, if you, someone's spraying bleach all over the pitch, that's not going to do anyone any good. And and the problem is all of these are protocols which are being put out in, in the press and have been sort of put forward for the professional game. And you know what the world's like. If they see Wayne Rooney wearing the latest boots, people will go out and buy the latest boots. But if they see players disinfecting the pitch, they might go out disinfecting the back garden, the local park, and then it gets all a little bit Donald Trump and a little a little bit out of control. So some of these are just, they're almost brainless. Well, I think if you're a disinfectant company, you might have the first chance to become a cool brand, actually. So maybe this is the uh, <laughs> the time where Nike and Adidas maybe get involved in the bleach market and we could have some uh, quite cool bleaches under the sink going forward. And can you imagine uh, Nicholas Otamendi, who, who can't help himself but go to ground, just sliding through a puddle of bleach? Just, just to try and clear the ball, but then not turning his face. It's pointless. Maybe it's it? like the f- the floor has lava going forward, and that's <laughs> how we spice up what's going to be a, a dull Premier League season. Well, plenty of coronavirus-related topics to be discussed over the next few weeks, uh, and indeed on the podcast as well. But after this break, we're going to have a bit of fun because we're going to discuss the return of the Bundesliga, and we're all going to pick a German team. Don't forget to search on Deliveroo and Uber Eats for our sponsor, German Doner Kebab. If you're bored of the same old takeaways and fancy something different for dinner tonight, go and search for your nearest restaurant on Deliveroo and Uber Eats and get yourself a German Doner Kebab in. This is Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily from Sports Social. My name's Niall. I've got Adam and Will alongside me on today's podcast. And now we're going to discuss a return for the Bundesliga. The Premier League, of course, uh, is still in limbo in terms of its possible return. But we know for certain that the German top flight will be returning And people have been so desperate to watch some live football on their television screens that they've actually been scrambling to try and pick a German team to support. They're looking for twin towns. They're looking for colours of kits to match up with their team that they support back in England. So I want to know, Will, I want to know, Keezy, what German teams you've selected as your team to support in the Bundesliga or whether it's still up in the air. Is it a toss up between a couple of clubs? What do you reckon? (laughs) I mean, this is really desperate times that we're now looking for German teams. Um, I, I mean, I really liked 1860 Munich, but they've managed to get themselves relegated to the third division now. So that's them out. But they had the best kit of all time, a 1997 home kit. And I've been to see them play. And what I've got it down to is uh, Dortmund line me up, so there are no. Um, Munich, I always think are very like United. In they're always owed everything so that's a no um Schalke I didn't mind but I think they've been a little bit too try hard at the minute so they're a no um Gladbach I really like as a club and Sin City play there twice and really nice place lovely people um great ground to go to but they're doing all this you can get a fan in the ground for 20 euros so 
they became a no, unfortunately, because they were my one. Uh, but I've gone for Leverkusen for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, but I think I'm just going to glory hunt over the next few weeks. And whoever's scoring the best goals and playing the best football, I'll just watch them. Casey's I gone think. for Leverkusen. Will, who's taken your fancy? Leverkusen's now off the table, so who are you going for? Um, well, it was actually a very long and laborious process for me <laughs> to decide uh, who was going to be my German club. Um, I won't bore you with the details, but it was actually uh, where I've been on holiday, and I've only been to Germany once, and we went to Berlin, and we went to a Hertha Berlin game. So um, I've chosen them. But I think the Hertha Berlin experience was, it was a bit overshadowed for me because... You know, you hear a lot about the German football atmosphere. I, I think mm. as soon as Hertha started playing football, it was actually one of the most boring games I've ever been to <laughs> in my entire life. So the fan aspect actually actually saved it. But seeing a 30-year-old Solomon Kalou drag himself around a pitch for 90 minutes in a 1-0 defeat to a relegation-threatened side was um, uh, not the best. But £10, you got your ticket and your travel, which is unbelievable just looking at it now Hertha have actually got that uh, that Patek from AC Milan so he could be my new uh, Alan Shearer to get I, behind I, I also went to see Hertha Berlin I went in December I think it was 2017 and they played uh, my favourite man uh, Graham Potter's Ostersons in the, um, <laughs> the yeah the weird thing was so we went in like the ultra section which was great apart from the fact it was minus 400 degrees and it was the most boring game ever. And also, I don't understand why they play in the Olympic Stadium, but then only put 15,000 fans in there. It was really yeah, weird. It was like, they have the, the South Stand where it's, it's all bouncing and everyone's friendly and you can have a beer, but it's too cold. But then the away fans are about 4,000 kilometres across stadium, across the running pitches, on their own, with nothing in between. It was a little bit weird, but... Hertha Berlin are a really good shout. That's uh, I like that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned earlier, Adam, Borussia mentioned Gladbach, because that actually is my my German club. I've got a scarf and everything, believe it or not. Back in 2002, I went on a football tour with the football club I was playing for at the time to uh, to Munchen Gladbach, and we ended up beating the Munchen Gladbach youth team uh, in, in the final of this tournament. So we were pretty impressed with that. Uh, and they gave us all scarves, green scarves that said, you'll never walk alone on it. Of course, every German club seems to have that as their moniker along with Liverpool. But I went to a game between Mönchengladbach and, uh, Bayer Leverkusen, your team. It was a clash in their old stadium, Borussia Park's their new stadium, but their old stadium was called the Berkelberg, which is like a really like <laughs> imposing sounding name for a stadium. And it was open air. It was one of those stadiums where, you know, like you get in Spain and the Sp- Spanish second division where you've just got one covered bit yeah, of the yeah. stat of the stadium and the rest is just open. It was like that. And we got absolutely soaked watching that game. But Mikel Forsell, Will, was playing for Munchen Gladbach oh. and he scored. So oh, well, I was changing my answer. I'll, I'll, ne- I'll never forget that ever since. Uh, <laughs> That's I think- I think Michael Ballack was playing for uh, for Leverkusen as well, if I remember rightly. But yeah, that's my team, Borussia Mönchengladbach. So let us that. know on the social media at the Sports <laughs> Social which German club you're supporting. So I tell you what, actually got um, is that. Sorry, Keith, it's on, actually that sad. I actually got chills on my body when you said Mikel Forsell. <laughs> what a guy! Alleged underrated striker uh, as well. More goals than Timmy Puki. Borussia Park is a wonderful stadium as well. That's that's the reason we went back. It was. It was really good, um, Borussia Park, but the only thing that that turned me off them is this 
you can put a fan in the ground thing. I just thought, nah, I can't, I can't deal with that. But there's there's some other other clubs that we've we've not looked at. If you want a, a fighting team who are just outside the relegation zone, or they were back in, I can't even remember when football existed. Eintracht Frank Frankfurt are a nice little uh, nice little outsider. Same with Hoffenheim. Um, a couple of like really hipster clubs there. If if you want a hipster club, and Red Bull Leipzig, if you if you want that weird commercial team but they, they've been really good haven't they Leipzig so I think you'll have a lot of uh, English fans supporting Leipzig and Dortmund Dortmund especially with Haaland and Sancho so. well talking of hipster clubs what about St Pauli everyone seems to support St Pauli don't they Football Social Daily's own Jim Salverson has been speaking to the St Pauli Supporters Association of Manchester yes there is one believe it or not he's been asking them about how they feel about a Bundesliga return your team will be back in action this weekend along with a whole load of other Bundesliga teams. Obviously, the Premier League are trying to get football back in the UK, but German football have taken that step a little bit earlier. Are you in contact with people in Germany? How does it feel over there at the moment? Um, so, yeah, we've got loads of friends from going out there. Um, the mood is mixed. Uh, people are pleased to be able to see football, but sad that it will be... Geisterspiel's ghost games. Um, Geisterspiel, that's quite a good word. I like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there are clubs doing initiatives. So Munch and Gladbach have allowed fans to buy cardboard cutouts for themselves to put in the crowd. Um, some clubs are going to pump fan songs through the PA systems to make it feel like there's an atmosphere. Um, but the most resounding issue, and if you read statements from ultra groups across the board um, they agree that football without fans is nothing mm. I mean that that's a bigger debate I guess and a debate that's going to be had in this country as well but from the point of view of watching the games they are going to be on television this weekend there is the opportunity to watch live football for the first time in ages if we want to sit down if me and Joe were sitting down mm-hmm. this weekend and watching a Bundesliga game we don't want to feel. We don't want to seem like we're idiots. We want to seem like we know our stuff. What would be like your cheat sheets of German football? If you were going to go, these are the three things you need to know. What would they be? So, um, Bayern will dominate. <laughs> Everybody hates Red Bull Leipzig, <laughs> um, and the second division is far better than the first division. Okay, said said like a true watcher of second division football, that last one. And the most oh. important thing, of course, is what we're eating as well. We know what we eat in, the, in this country when we're watching football. You might splash out on a burger, but you're probably going to go for a chicken balti pie or something along those lines and a pint. Yeah. German football, is it following a similar vein? Uh, so it's very, very regional. Um, every club has its own... Uh, or every town has its own beer, its own food delicacy. So I guess my advice would be pick your town, um, pick your team and, and find what their local beer is. So, for instance, Cologne have Kolsch, mm. um, Munich it's Paulina. So, yeah, there's a massive variety. So so fi- find, find your city, fi- find your local brewery um, and then get online and see if you can get your hands on, on the local beer. So what will you be drinking this weekend as a St. Pauli fan? Well, I should be drinking a beer called Astra, um, but personally, I think it tastes a bit like licking a two p. So I tend to, <laughs> I, I tend to go for a, a Berliner Pilsner because I prefer that beer. Top man, Dave. Thank you very much for coming on. Give us the inside scoop on German football. In re, enjoy your team return to action this weekend.
That was Jim chatting to the St. Pauli supporters in Manchester. Um, I'm sure that they're kind of met with mixed emotions about the season continuing. Keen to see their team play again, but also keen to make sure that this virus doesn't spiral out of control just because we want to see 11 men kicking a bag of wind around again for the first time in absolutely ages. Right, I tell you, talking of ages, it's been absolutely ages since Manchester City in 2012 uh, were treated to that incredible moment where Sergio Aguero scored a 93rd or 94, I can't remember when it was, 93-20, that's the one, isn't it, Keezy? 93-20, Sergio Aguero scored uh, a very, very famous goal, perhaps one of the most famous in the history of the Premier League, not for its quality, but for its meaning. Eight years ago today... What does that day mean to you, Adam? Time flies. Um, I've just been talking to a few mates that I went to the game with that day, and it was all—it was all very weird. Um, one of the lads who we went with before the game, we sat outside a pub with some cans, um, obviously because all the pubs were absolutely heaving around there that day. And one one of the lads went, oh, "Wouldn't it be funny if uh, if we won it last minute?" And everyone's like, "Don't. That is disgusting. That is disgusting." Um, I always remember the day being exceptionally warm. And everyone had come in jackets because it was quite cold in the morning. And then uh, the best thing was the whole aftermath, as, as you'd imagine, just got really, it just was a massive blur. And everyone headed back into town and everyone was dancing around Piccadilly Gardens. And then uh, one of the, the lads that we knew had hired a club on Ancoats. I think it was called Basement Bar or something. And they'd hired it and we were all taking it in turns to be on the door. And basically just charging whatever we want for people to get in. And then I got back home I'd just moved back home after uni and I, I was living with mum and dad and I got back home and my dad was getting ready for work as I got back in and it, it was almost <laughs> a don't talk, it was just a nod and then getting to the parade the next day was, I imagine, was a struggle for everyone but I think it's it's a day... Wheeling and dealing there, yeah, Keith, no, yeah. charging people was, on the door. It's one of those days that you appreciate more the longer the time goes on because you're like, Jesus, that you actually got to see that um, yeah, it's uh, one of those days. I think the other one that gets uh, almost forgotten, it was only two years ago, but two years ago today as well was Gabriel Jesus scoring to uh, get City's 100 points, which was a, another good day. Um, but yeah, the the QPR game, you, you actually couldn't write it. If you'd have tried, you actually couldn't have written that. Yeah, I remember listening to it in the car. I can't remember where I was driving, but it was, it was red hot. I remember having the windows open. And just thinking, oh, well, you know, Manchester United have done it again. You know, the whole Fergie time thing. They always seem yeah. to find a way to do it. And then, obviously, the, the commentary was just, yeah, it was pulsating. It was absolutely brilliant. And obviously a day that many Premier League fans will never, ever forget. Possibly the best ending to a Premier League season of all time. What about Manchester United, though, Will? On, on the flip side of the coin, on the red half of the city of Manchester, it's been seven years exactly to the day since Sir Alex Ferguson retired as Manchester United manager in that crazy 5-5 draw with West Bromwich Albion at Old Trafford. What's kind of been the, the fundamental issue that Manchester United have had since Fergie's departure? I mean, we've spoken about it so many times over the last few years. Is it just simply the fact that he was a top, top manager, one of the best ever, and it was near on impossible to replace him? Or does it run a bit more deep than that? I think so. I think it was the most predictable thing that this, like, lots of changes would happen. I know in an ideal world, David Moyes would have probably just finished this seven-year contract last week or something, whatever it's been going on for. Um, but yeah, I think that was the most inevitable thing, that there would be this so much turmoil with different managers. I think 
they've not helped themselves with the changing of the guard at the at the top of the club with obviously Ed Woodward with being such a fantastic businessman and generating these vast amount of sums for them to have the money to buy the best players in the world but then people are not there to buy the best players in the world which is why he's I don't think he's director of football but he's in charge of football matters when he shouldn't be so the main issue which everyone seems to know about and which the Glazers don't seem to change is just that Ed Woodward's in charge of football issues and he doesn't need to be I think it's just that simple I mean is there an argument Keezy that Ferguson left at the right time because we knew that Manchester City were becoming an emerging force at that time the year before they obviously pinched the title out of United's hands and then Chelsea was still a force around that time I mean Chelsea had just won the Champions League albeit they weren't as good in the league around that time but certainly they were always going to be there and thereabouts and you know there was an argument to suggest that Fergie left at the right time because if it wasn't for Robin Van Persie in that 2012-13 season United might not have had as much of a chance of winning it as they did there's, there's almost an argument as well from some United fans if you want to be really critical of it that he left them in a really bad way there's I still can't get my head around how how he won the title with that team which does cement his legend as mm. probably the best ever um of all time in fo- in all of football because he won the team with he won the league with a really average team this the season after City had won it um and then he had to leave after that because he must have known that he couldn't do that again yeah. but he did leave them with quite a weird team that it's taken a long time to get that team back to where it kind of needed to be because it it was a proper mess when he left and it's taken a lot of rebuilding and Moyes was destined to fail anyway because he would never live up to it he was never going to win the title with that team and he would have needed time and he was never going to be given it and then you saw Van Gaal who came in and he was another wild card who he actually was all right at United and then obviously Mourinho came in won a few trophies and fell apart as you'd expect and now they're into Solskjaer territory but I think United fans would have expected there to be a period where they wouldn't have won anything uh, of significance. They've won a couple of FA Cups and a, a Europa League, but I don't think anyone would have thought it was going seven, eight years. Could be a lot longer, depending on what happens the next couple of years. So um, it does obviously cement how good Ferguson was. Um, like I say, to win the league in that last season with that team, it was basically Van Persie just pulling everyone because the rest of that team was pretty awful. I remember Van Persie won me uh, won me 90 quid for him to score first against his old employer's Arsenal. <laughs> I always remember that. So I thank Robin Van Persie for, for winning me that cash. As Adam says, Will, you know, Manchester United fans will say, oh, it's been terrible since Fergie left, but they've won a League Cup, an FA Cup and a Europa League in that time, two of which under... Uh, well, two of which under the stewardship of Jose Mourinho, whose tenure got quite a fair bit of stick. So has it really been all doom and gloom for Manchester United? I mean, by their high expectations, is a League Cup, a Europa League and an FA Cup enough for them? I think the expectations have gone under par a little bit because they haven't qualified for the Champions League in those seasons. And I think that is the minimum of expectation if you're Manchester United. With the, with the money they've spent as well, you should be qualifying for the Champions League every season. There's teams with lesser budgets that have done better because they're better run and well organised off the field. So I think that's been the, the biggest um, area of improvement. They need to make sure they're qualifying for Champions League. But I actually think it looks quite promising under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think uh, I've been the first to criticise him um, when, when things aren't going so well, but they are sticking with him and a little bit of stability there seems to be 
working better. Um, the transfer policy seems a lot clearer now as well. Not not spending vast amount on aging players. They they've got a bit of a youth drive going on, and I, sometimes it irks me a little bit the way Solskjaer licks Fergie's ass quite a lot still, and like, doesn't park in his spot. And um, but I think one good thing that he's taken from that is that he. Um, with the youth drive, with like the Greenwood Gomez's of the world, you've you've seen a lot more of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we've we've heard so much about the class of '92 and how good United's academy was, and how Fergie kind of went in there in the '80s and turned it upside down and said, right, we need the best players coming through our academy to help us. It's easy to forget that although we see fans calling for big money signings and getting the world class players in. That successful period that Manchester United had of 15, 20 years was built on the foundations of young British players coming through their academy. And I mean, that was the bedrock of their success in the uh, in the 90s, really, wasn't it? So, I mean, are we trying to are we sort of seeing a, a hark back to those days and maybe getting a bit more change out of those uh, domestic products that they make from their academy? I, I always think it puts less pressure on Solskjaer doing that rather than go down the other route of let's sign £100 million players here, there and everywhere, and if they fail, it's my fault. But bringing through the younger players and the the local lads, it's always going to bring the fans on your side immediately anyway. So doing that brings less risk of, of failure, I think, because you, if you can get more out of the younger players rather than getting less out of the expensive ones, then it's always going to reflect better. And like Will said, there's, there's definitely a bit of stability there at the minute, so... It's how long that stability lasts that I think will be like absolutely key to see where they go. It's it's actually quite interesting that we said on was it last week's podcast, I think it was, that they're still a way off City and Liverpool and a few years off, but if they stick with Solskjaer and the players that they've got in the minute, they they will get there because they're only going to improve. So it's all about how stable they can be and things like that. But the they're in the best place they've been since Ferguson left, I'd say. What do you reckon then, Will? Do you think, like you say, the future's bright, but I mean, let's just presume this season they don't get into the Champions League spots. I mean, I think it's probably out of the question now with everything that's going on with coronavirus. But in the next two to three seasons, we've seen Andy Cole come out and say that he feels that United will challenge. Will that be the case or will we see, you know, top four finishes more regularly? As you say, I think you're right in, in suggesting that top four is the minimum requirement for a club of that stature. Yeah, I think it definitely, yeah. I think they need to qualify for the Champions League for the next three seasons because that gives them the stability in terms of that big European money to use the, the, the rock bed of the youth that they've got through. And like Keezy said, that gives Solskjaer a bit more time, but that, that time will run out unless they're, and they're pushing and then, yeah, take that money and maybe go forth. But I think if Leicester are qualifying for the Champions League, they're over-exceeding. Uh, we'd all agree on that. So, yeah, Manchester United need to be matching and, and doing better than that with with the resources that they have. OK, well, that's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Will. Appreciate your time. Go and enjoy your Apple TV. Don't ruin it for each other. No spoilers, please. So keep it to yourselves, will you? And go and support Munch and Gladback. They're a better club than all the rest of them. But that's it for today's podcast. Make sure you get some questions in as well for our Friday podcast, which is a and a As always, every Friday during this lockdown period, we'll be answering your questions. So ping them to us on social media. Our DMs are open. It's at the Sports Social on Twitter, and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as well. Just search for Sports Social. But that's it for today's podcast, and we'll chat to you again soon. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Fancy something different for tea? Get takeaway delivery now via Deliveroo and Uber Eats.